please turn to 2 Timothy. There's Bibles everywhere in the seats. If anyone can't find one but would like one, please just put your hand up and we'll get one to you, no problem at all. Does anyone need a Bible? 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Okay. Good, good, good. By the way, I forgot to mention in that story that um, I had asked the shop owner on three or four occasions to do something about it, and, and he didn't. So that's why I took action. Okay, let's hear the word of God. Two Timothy chapter three. But mark this there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over, sorry about this bit, over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected." But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. But as for you, however, Timothy, but as for you, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions that I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Mark those words, church. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know that those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
Father, we give you thanks for your word and pray now, Lord, that your revealed holy word will now extend out into our lives to bear fruit, fruit that will last. We praise you, Lord. Amen. I don't know if you counted the, uh, the traits that were listed in the early part of chapter 3. 18 traits that cannot sit at all with biblical faith. It's a strong list, and I feel like for a Sunday morning, it's like a kind of verbal smelling salts to wake us up for a very pleasant Sunday morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm often tempted to look at this list and think of certain people. Amen? Come on, you do it as well, don't you? You look at this list and you think, yeah, that, yeah, that person, that person, that person. That minister, that minister, that minister. But I was thinking, don't use this to judge other people, but use it to look at yourself and see how far God has taken you. How far God has uprooted these things from your life is a great way to start with this, uh, this list of 18 traits. Look at it to see how God has transformed you. But this is what godlessness looks like. People are lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, abusive, ungrateful, unforgiving, slanderous. You know, all of those qualities that we look for in a friend. I've yet to find a headstone that says, here lies dot, dot, dot. He was unmerciful and unforgiving and he had a tongue on him. Rest in peace, says No. But Paul in verse 4 says that uh, sometimes all of this, even though these traits are there, these 18 traits, sometimes they can look like godliness. They have a, a form to them, a way about them that can look like godliness. Verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, he says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, they look, let's say, religious. They look righteous. They look godly. But there's no power there. Because it's easy to look religious, I think. And most of those that fake religion are joyless. And joy is one of the hallmarks of Christian faith. You cannot be a Christian and joyless. You can't do both. You can't have one without the other, rather. Because there's a joylessness about fake faith. And I think it was Mark Twain who said something, it sounds like it's something he could say, the heart of sin is taking oneself too seriously. Now, we don't want to be court jesters, right? We don't want to be clowns. But the heart, there's something about at the heart of sin is a joylessness. And remember what the, how Jesus described the job description of the enemy, Satan. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why there's a joylessness at the heart of false religion. So, Paul likens godlessness to someone in verse 6 who is loaded down with sins. He says to Timothy... Look at the world around you and in all its rampant hedonism that we see around us today. He says, look at it. Look at it. And it's ugly. 
Every week we come to our prayer and intercession time. And we're praying for God to beautify the thing that is ugly in our world because of sin. We need him to do this work of transformation. So it's ugly. Then Paul says, now look at my life. And that you could be a mistake to think that Paul is is being arrogant here. But he says, look at my life. Timothy, you can see the faith, the patience and love. Never mind the fact that I've been stoned and shipwrecked and flogged. Look at my life, he says, in verse 11. And yet, he says, and the Lord rescued me from all of this. In fact, young Timothy, in fact, young TBC, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, this most famous of verses, what's going to happen There's no shirking this. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted at some fundamental level. And he finishes in verse 13 with this verse. While people go on from bad to worse. And so the days of Timothy and the days of us are not dissimilar. No era has escaped this this assessment from the Word of God, because the choice is before us right now again to choose to follow God or not. It's up to you. God gives you the freedom to do that. And your destiny hangs on it. (laughs) It's no small thing. But then Paul writes... after this display of what's wrong, which is godlessness, essentially all sin is a rejection of God at some fundamental level. Godlessness is the word that is used. So after displaying what's wrong, he then talks about what is right, godliness, verses 14 and 15. And he says this. Let's let's remind ourselves again. But as for you, that's the phrase. I told you what's wrong. But as for you, but as for you, but as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and have from in, how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy is being emboldened through Paul's writing here because he needs fortifying encouraging. Timothy was a timid man. He needed the Apostle Paul, who was not timid. He needed that courage to strengthen him because he needed to know that God was with him for what was coming. The need to face, the, with courage, the monumental sins of society. How are, how are we addressing the monumental sins of our society? Maybe some of us are just simply protected from this. I don't know. But are we with the prophet's mind and the prophet's eyes seeing through to see God's judgment on the godlessness? And then how do we respond to that? 
But Paul is encouraging him to press on, to continue, to do the righteous, the God-like thing. Why does Paul suppose that he wants us to be God-like in this regard? Godliness. Why? Well, I was reflecting on this. I was thinking, what is it that God wants? Jesus said, didn't he, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Anyone achieved that yet? No. But why the call? Why is it there? Why the demand? Why the excess? Why the challenge? Why the impossible challenge? Here's why. Because God's heart is for our heart to be like his heart. God's heart is for our heart to be like his heart. That's what the Bible means by transformation. That should have come up. Yes, well done, Nick. Thank you, my friend. And so it's, it's a personal plea to Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy. I wonder what excuses Timothy could have made to get out of this. He says that you've been convinced of the truth of the gospel. You've heard the scriptures from your earliest days. You've made an adult commitment. You have become convinced of this truth. And it's life-changing truth. And so Paul writes to Timothy to encourage and embolden him. And yet it's corporate. Timothy's not meant to keep this to himself. He's meant to take the scripture, which says, is suitable for training in righteousness and godliness. So that Timothy can expand it from the personal into society. This is what we do when we leave here. We expand the gospel into society. Isn't that a wonderful way to think about church? In a sense, you're more church out there than in here. More effective out there than in here. And yet it is only Christ who can affect this change. And that's why God calls us to be perfect. So that our heart reflects his heart. And I was thinking about this call to be perfect, as I said, and it was really impacting. I've often mentioned this call to be perfect that Jesus makes, and none of us are. No, but we are being perfected for sure. Uh, some of us have a longer way to go than others, admittedly, but we are on that journey of being perfected by God because God is perfect in his holy love. But I was thinking about this and thought, how do we think about this in a different way? Why are we called to be perfect? Why is the line in this chapter to Timothy, never mind this, but as for you, why is that there? And I think we are called to be perfect, church, because we are perfectly loved. That's the motivation. We are called to be perfect because we are perfectly loved. Let the honey of that truth sink in. So Timothy, the disciple under Christ, had people speaking into his life. 
his grandmother, his mother. Hopefully there were some men around as well in speaking into his life. Paul is effectively his spiritual father. And the people speaking into his life were people in God's word. Now all of you will be speaking into people's lives at some point. What is the substance of that speaking into though? Where is the speaking into coming from? Which well are you drawing on to do this speaking into? Because Timothy's actions in response to this challenge by Paul would require serious counter-cultural flow, similar to maybe putting honey on magazines that should not be seen by children, at the very least. It is when the church that is shaped by the Word of God in all its fullness, the, the whole counsel of God, that she has the strength and the willingness and the desire to swim against the tide that the world presents to us so very, very well. Don't be beguiled by that. Your heart is the battleground, and the world is not neutral. So we could say after all of this, well, so what? So what? What marks Christians out as different, as genuine, as distinct? What marks you out as different or genuine and distinct? And in fact, forgot to say in the notices section, but this is as good a time as any to say it, James and Laura will be baptised a week today. Praise God. That's one of the marks of distinction. That's what will mark you out. Who you belong to, where your allegiance lies, who your loyalty is with, where your heart is going. Not godlessness, but godliness in Christ. So what marks us out as different if you are a Christian here this morning? And if you're not, Jesus invites you to repent. In fact, no, let me change that. He doesn't even invite you. He commands you to repent. And that's a glorious thing. To come to him. We could say, I'm... I'm, I'm here preaching this morning at TBC. You are here sitting here this morning. So what? So what? What marks us out as different, as genuine, and as distinct? Now, when you think about the Old Testament, every single king of Israel and Judah were expected and they were commanded to read the law of Moses night and day. It was never to depart from their lips, much like we've heard Timothy's childhood was like. They were to be properly honeyed, get this, they were to be properly honeyed in the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 103, it's a long psalm. It has many repeated ideas. It's saying the same thing a hundred times. It's about tasting the honeycomb of the word, the real thing, the real deal, not the fake and the phony and the forgery, but the real thing. Psalm 119 verse 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Anyone here not like honey? 
God bless that boy. <laughs> bless you. <ya. laughs> I can't think of anything funny to say, so I won't. <laughs> so as Paul was honeyed in the Scriptures, Paul, trained by the greatest rabbinic mind of his day, honeyed in the Scriptures. That's why Jesus chose him. Now he's mentoring Timothy, who was honeyed in the Scriptures from a young age. And Paul is saying, this is how you remain faithful to me and to the calling that God has for you. But why should he and why should we be honeyed in the Scriptures? I'm not talking here about oh, you must read it for three hours every single day, you must read it night. I'm not saying that in a literal sense, but I'm saying it in the slow transformation, grace going to work kind of sense. To think God's thoughts after him. To be so transformed that you love what God loves and desire what God desires. That's the goal. That's the goal. But, beloved, we always have choices to make in the spiritual life. And so, the world is doing this. But Scripture says, but as for you. The world is saying that. And Scripture says, but as for you. The world is going there. But Scripture says, but as for you. The grass is greener over there. But Scripture says, but as for you. But as for you. But as for you. But as for you. And this is God's word to us, church. Because it is the word of God that we must be in. It really is the word of God that we must be in. So that the word of Christ may dwell in us richly and sweetly. Right? Now I know it sounds rather dramatic saying all of this. And I do have drama queen tendencies, I will admit. But I am literally just repeating what the Bible says. Why do we need the word to form us and to shape us from the inside out? Why do we need this? And we do need it. And by God's grace, we've worked out a rhythm and a pattern in our life that enables the word to come to us sweetly in such a way to transform Why do we need God's word to shape us from the inside out? I think this would be a helpful way to think about that. Until we let the masks that we all wear fall away at the feet of Jesus, until we take off the mask that we wear, we won't be able to see his face as clearly as we should. That's why last week was called Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus will burn away all the sin that hinders us. He will. He's doing it. And the masks must come off. And we lay them down at Jesus' feet so we can see him clearly. But why should we need to see the face of Christ? Is that really so important? Because it really is literally everything. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8 says this, For God, 
who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say that again. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light where there was once darkness, of the knowledge where there was once ignorance, of the glory where there was once shame, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God (coughs) in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of it. That is the heart of it. It is the word of God that idolatry is, uh, is exposing Uh, Sorry, the word of God is exposing idolatry at every single turn and defeating at every single turn. It is the remedy. What God has said is the remedy. And it is the word of God that will ensure Timothy ministers from a healthy and holy well. (coughs) Verse 17, so that the man or woman may be, the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Praise God. P.T. Forsyth, that's the next one, Nick, says, oh, this is lovely. If we have no discoverer, redeemer, quickener, we have no God, no kingdom, no courage, no future, no faith. Jesus is everything and it is his face we see. But church, we do have a redeemer. We do have a quickener. We do have a redeemer. And his name is Jesus, crucified and risen for you. Raised, exalted, and coming back for you and me and anyone who will believe. Anyone. Therefore, because of Christ, we have a God and a kingdom. We have courage and a future and certain faith in Christ. Do you see his face? Have you met this King Jesus yet? So when Scripture says, as it says to Timothy, but as for you, we need to hear the divine echo of Jesus that says, because of me. If it's tough, the word is, but as for you. And we hear, because of me, says Jesus. Therefore, always look unto Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Sweet as honey. Amen? Amen. Can I invite you guys up again? (coughs) Our final song. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing this to Jesus, church as though looking into his face, beholding the glory of God. Sing like never before, O my soul. Choose this day to worship our redeeming God. Let's stand and sing.